0: Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth all through the lens of nursing. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Nurse Becoming podcast. Your host here, Amanda Gornieri. So happy to have you here. Are you ready for a very invigorating conversation about medical malpractice insurance? I am saying that slightly in jest. I know that this is not the most exciting topic, but it is an important topic that we all need to be educated about. Our professional livelihood depends on it. So I wanted to cover this topic and dive a little bit deeper into what medical malpractice insurance is, who needs it, who doesn't need it, what it covers, and also some different nuances. So I am a partner of Berksy, which is an insurance company. They are a direct-to-consumer insurance company, meaning that there's no middle person, and they really focus on the needs of nurses. So They were very kind to let me borrow the brain of one of their leaders for the purposes of this conversation. So today I am interviewing Evelyn Bavier, and she is the product development and portfolio director at Berksy. And again, Berksy is a small commercial insurance division of Berkshire Hathaway Specialty Insurance Company. And Evelyn comes to this field with years of experience in the insurance industry on really the legal side of things. She does have a background as an attorney and also has been focused on product development, meaning tuning into what professionals really need out of medical malpractice insurance. So as a result, she knows this topic and these products, meaning insurance policies inside and out. And if you are in the market for an insurance policy, I do welcome you to check out the link in our show notes for the link to Berksy to get a free quote, or you can head to berksy.com slash the resume Rx. And without further ado, let's talk to Evelyn all about medical malpractice insurance. Hi, Evelyn. Welcome to the show. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. Thank you so much for for being here. I get a lot of questions about insurance and malpractice insurance. So it was really a great opportunity to be able to have you come on and share your expertise with us.
1: Great. Very happy to be here.
0: So I've already introduced you formally, but I'd love for you in your own words to give us an overview of who you are, what you do, as well as an intro to Berksy, who you work for.
1: Sure. Yep. Um, My name is Evelyn Bavier and I work for Berksy, which is a direct-to-consumer initiative within Berkshire Hathaway Specialty Insurance. So um, it is an insurance carrier. Berksy happens to focus on insurance for individual professionals and small business owners. So um, within that, we have a wonderful base of customers in the nursing profession and really across the allied health industry. But I would say the predominant part of our business does come from nurse practitioners and nurses in all different specialties. So we have had a great opportunity to get to know this type of professional really well. And it's just been a great partnership so far. As far as I'm concerned, I've been in the insurance industry for actually going on 16 years now, which is a shock to me. I think if you had asked me when I was in my 20s, if this is what I would be doing, um, like many insurance professionals, I would have been very surprised, but it's really been a great journey. And it's a really great industry that I think not many people know that much about. And prior to my um, joining Berksy, um, I was a lawyer in various insurance companies, um, so mostly legal roles. But at Berksy, um, and I've been here for about two and a half years now, I lead Berksy's product development, which is to say my job is really to understand what nurses need for professional liability coverage, um, and then to put together policies and products that meet those needs. So it's been, as I said, really great opportunity to get to know a profession really well.
0: That's great. I think that's interesting. And thank you for kind of letting us know your, your path, because I think when we interact with different companies, and especially when we're doing something that's not exactly very Personal, right? Like, right. malpractice insurance isn't something where you're typically meeting with someone one-on-one. You know, you're interacting with a company, and I think it can be really helpful to know who are the people behind the company, where do they come from, and and kind of what do they bring to the table. So, um, yeah, I love hearing I, that I, you have a legal background.
1: Yeah, and I love that you mentioned that because I think you know, I feel like I can say this because I've been with really two other major insurance companies in my. Uh, working life and in my career. And um, Berksy is a little unusual in that it's still small and it is the insurance carrier and not a broker or an agent. Um, you know, we only sell Berksy products. And what I like about that is that if someone were to call Berksy up and talk to one of our product specialists back when we were in an office, I literally sat like 10 feet away from them. And even today, you know, we have our ways versus, you know, via Slack or Teams or whatever to communicate, but I feel really plugged in to what our customers are asking about and um, what, you know, sort of friction points or issues that they're having um, that affect, you know, sort of what our coverages uh, include or, you know, issues with claims or things like that. Um, It's just a, a level of, i guess closeness to the customer that i have not been able to have in other companies so you will if someone were to call they would actually talk to a real human that i know and knows me and it's um it is a pretty personal company so
0: i think that's great i think that's really that's really valued in this day and age i think that a lot of consumers especially younger consumers millennial gen z you know we like interacting with humans as opposed to feeling like we're interacting with corporations. So I I love that you point that out. I would like to kick off the conversation by kind of having you give us an introduction to medical malpractice insurance, maybe define it a little bit so that we had some context for the conversation.
1: Sure. I could sadly talk about this all day long. I'll try to keep it concise. And I I know that a lot of your listeners probably have a, a base knowledge of what this is, but I think that, you know, in a nutshell, it's a type of insurance that protects you from the costs of having to defend against claims of malpractice. So if you think about it as a way to defray expenses and to protect your finances, I think that's a good starting point. And then malpractice itself is actually a very specific type of claim, it's a very specific concept. I think most of us, when we think about, you know, lawsuits between two parties and someone, you know, making a mistake or doing something that causes someone else some sort of a harm or loss. You know, we've all heard the term negligence. But for, you know, medical professionals, it's not just ordinary negligence. It's a concept that's tied to the standard of care that's expected of a professional with the training that comes with that profession. So, for example, lawyers malpractice would be tied to, um, you know, the duty of care that's expected of a trained attorney. Physicians malpractice is tied to what physicians are supposed to be doing or not doing. And similarly for nurses, and it is tied to sort of your level of license or your level of training. You know, RNs are held to a specific standard for RNs. Um, Nurse practitioners um, would be held to a specific standard of care for NPs. So it is very much tied to your professional obligations, your professional training, um, sort of best practices known in the industry. And then the question becomes, is there a claim that you somehow breached that standard? So before I get into what the insurance actually is, um, I just sort of wanted to uh, give an overview of what a malpractice claim might look like. And so the claims can be actual lawsuits. I think that's what most people think of, um, where basically it's a claim that says, hey, I was your patient, I suffered this injury, um, and I believe that my injury was caused by your actions or failure to act. In your capacity as my nurse or as my MP. And then the claims are usually seeking damages or some sort of payment to compensate the injured person for their um, it could be medical expenses, it could be lost income if the injury was such that they you know, can no longer work or can only work in a limited capacity and can include pain and suffering. So um, that's sort of like the the generic nutshell of what a malpractice lawsuit might be. The most common allegation is you know, sort of medication errors, failure to diagnose something, failure to monitor a patient. Those are pretty typical, but it's really, you know, I like to say it's not a scare tactic by any means, but um, the truth is you don't have control over who your patients are always. And you don't, you know, it's, it's just what insurance is for, which is sort of unforeseeable, you know, complications, right? So the claims can really run the gamut of different kinds of allegations and then the claims that might be within the malpractice sphere can also include investigations into your professional conduct so if this isn't a lawsuit from a patient necessarily but it might be a, a board of nursing investigation or HIPAA violation investigation something like that right so it's still you know not necessarily allegations of negligence but an allegation that you violated Um, some other standard or your ethical obligations or privacy obligations. So, you know, it's really designed to, you know, address those kinds of situations. The insurance itself, as I mentioned earlier, helps professionals defend themselves. So, you know, the legal system, and I can say this as a lawyer, but it's very complex. And it's uh, very true for medical malpractice claims. It's procedurally challenging. There's deadlines, there's pleadings that you'll get that are uh, in language and uh, procedural vocabulary that most people who aren't lawyers are not going to be familiar with. Um, And it can be expensive even just to respond, right? Before you even get to the question of, are you liable? Are you responsible, right? So um, having the med mal insurance means that the insurance provider Will give you access to experienced medMal attorneys. And that's pretty important, right? Because MedMAL is a specific type of legal claim, and you want an attorney who is experienced in dealing with med mal allegations. So the insurance will hire you an attorney. That attorney will help investigate the facts, develop your defense, figure out who the witnesses are, or figure out, you know, what information you need to protect your reputation and protect. Um, your bottom line, um, and then argue and negotiate on your behalf. So you know that alone, uh, most med mal policies will cover that, and that doesn't even touch your limits of insurance. So that's just all sort of table stakes for an insurance policy. And you know, because attorneys are expensive, honestly, even having you know having an attorney is often worth the premium because you know I know that. This is actually sort of publicly available knowledge, but in sort of a survey of even board action claims. So these aren't big lawsuits. These are just Board of Nursing sends you a notice, says, you know, we need to investigate a complaint. That can just cost, you know, even if there's no action that ends up being taken against your license, those generally cost five to $10,000 just in lawyer's fees to respond to. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I don't think that happens often, if at all, to most people. But um, when it does, obviously, that's not something you want to come out of your own pocket. So that's a big advantage. And then on top of that, let's say you end up settling the claim, or you you go to trial, which is pretty unusual, but somewhere along the line, whether it's a difficult set of facts or a pretty severe injury or something like that, and you decide that the best thing for you is to resolve the dispute and just you know, if you need to pay a reasonable amount to the patient to end the process, it's worth it, right? For your own sanity, for, you know, lots of reasons. So med mal insurance would, um, and this is where your quote unquote limits of insurance come in. That's what goes toward making those settlement payments or a payment of a judgment. So that's, uh, you know, the limits of insurance that you buy, that's what would go toward that. So yeah, that's, uh, I think, it in a nutshell. But, uh, you know, I, I also just, I guess, wanted to take a moment to say that med malinsurance, insurance, one, insurance is dry, but med malinsurance insurance also just in and of itself, I think emotionally carries a bit of a, like, no one really wants to talk about it because it's, you know, it no one wants to think that they're going to be sued for doing a bad job, and it's um, probably carries a bit of a stigma. But honestly, I, I just encourage everyone to understand that being sued should not be viewed with a stigma. Um, they can be brought against even the most experienced nurses, um, even the most careful nurses, they can be brought even if there's no actual finding of fault, right? So it's just a fact of, of life. It's a fact of professional life and, uh, you know, very disruptive and emotionally draining regardless. So it's, it's something that probably does need to be talked about more, but shouldn't be viewed as a stigma.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I I think I agree. You know, it's kind of this big, scary thing that we know could happen. It's part of why we're taught such detailed documentation procedures. And, you know, it's it's really infused throughout our training to to make sure that we, I don't want to say, you know, cover ourselves in case anything goes wrong, but basically if it's not written down, it didn't happen. So we know that there's that possibility looming, but I agree that this conversation about what to do about it and how to protect yourself is is taking it to another level. It's another tool to protect yourself aside from great documentation. Yeah. And so I think, you know, my first question and probably the biggest question would be, you know, if I'm working for somebody and and I'm provided malpractice insurance in my contract mm-hmm. or by my employer, how does private insurance differ and how do I know if I need it or I don't need it?
1: Right. So um, that's a great question. and We actually get that question a lot because nursing professionals who are working at a hospital or a facility or clinic that um, actually provides some coverage through the employer, um, you're right. I mean, that's sort of their primary source of protection. And in many ways, it makes sense because the employer and the professional are aligned in making sure that, you know, there are good protocols, that um, there are good checks and balances, great risk management. And so hopefully no one gets, you know, sued, right? So that makes perfect sense. But, you know, I have seen and a good number of our customers are um customers who are buying supplemental insurance on top of that employer-provided coverage. And I would say that for those customers, the reason that they ended up buying supplemental coverage is because they volunteer or work at more than one job, right? So they're not just working for their employer. And um, because that additional work is in their capacity as a nurse, they would not be covered by their employer for that additional work. So that's one big reason why someone buys supplemental insurance. Another reason is, I mean, honestly, it's just what it sounds like. It's supplemental. So it will give you additional limits of insurance beyond what the employer's policy has available to you. I will be honest. I think different employers have different levels of coverage available to their staff. And there's no real standard that I know of um, as to how much coverage you'll have up through your employer. I mean, you can ask 100. Um, percent Like I think there's some facilities that have very comprehensive programs, and someone may feel perfectly comfortable for that, with that. But sometimes the limits for staff are shared. So if there are multiple defendants, you know, you're sort of facing a situation where, you know, worst case scenario you're the one professional who is found to be most liable or something like that. And um, you end up having to share those limits with other defendants. Or a claim could be so significant or, you know, there was a fatality or something like that, where the amount of limits might be important. So some people just are more comfortable having that extra cushion, just in case. I think the most value in a supplemental policy is that these policies are supplemental because they also cover more things than an employer's policy would cover. So board actions, we've talked about that a bunch already. Most employer policies will not cover defending a board action. So um, having your own policy will allow you to uh, defend your license if that were ever an issue and have it covered. Supplemental policies, um, and actually, even if you buy a policy and you have no other insurance, that usually comes with some additional coverage extensions that could be valuable to someone. For example, Good Samaritan coverage. So if you are out and about and someone needs um, first aid, it's not clear that your employer's policy would cover that because, again, it wasn't on the job. And then one one that I've heard is quite, you know, people don't normally think of it, but it's a nice to have. Is wage loss coverage. So if you ever were in a lawsuit or a board action defense or something like that, and you had to miss work to attend a hearing or a court proceeding or something like that, and you are paid based on you know, the hours that you work, it would cover you up to a certain amount each day just to sort of take the sting out of having to miss work for something like this. So yeah, so that those are some of the, the reasons why People do get supplemental insurance, and um, how it can be different from what an employer might provide.
0: That's great to know. I, I wouldn't even have thought about wage loss coverage. That's that's a good example. Hey, real quick, I've been spending some time researching medical malpractice insurance, and I wanted to share what I'm learning with you. And a special thanks to Berksy for partnering with me and supporting this episode of the podcast. So there are many instances where it might make sense to get malpractice insurance. You might run your own practice and need to insure yourself and your team, or you may want the additional peace of mind you get from extra coverage beyond what's provided by your employer. So Berksy is an insurance company that really focuses on the needs of nurses, and they're working to make getting malpractice insurance easier and more affordable. So if you are interested, you can get a free quote by heading to Berksy.com slash the resume rx. That's B-E-R-X-I.com slash the resume R X. Now back to the episode. One thing that I'm thinking about is, you know, let's say I've I have employer provided insurance, which is great. It's good coverage, uh, but sometimes these actions can take some time to come to fruition. And by the time whatever claim is made, I don't work there anymore. Should we be thinking about that? And is there a role for private insurance in that scenario?
1: That's a great question. And you're getting at something that can be very complex, truthfully, in in insurance products. I think typically um, employer provided coverage these days. Um, and it does change over time based on sort of the, the you know, litigation environment and, and things like that. But a lot of hospital policies, for example, are what's known as claims made, which means that the, you know, policy applies when the claim is made. And so it will cover claims that are made against people going back some years. But it's a good question in that you know you'd have to look at the terms of the policy, but it might not cover people who are not employees. So, if a claim is made five years later and you're no longer an employee, what I would want to be careful of when you leave that hospital job is that you have what's known as tail coverage from the hospital, so or at least some sort of you know assurance that um, if a claim was made later after you're no longer an employee that you would still get the benefit of that coverage. The other way that um, people do handle that is that when they leave, they'll buy a policy with something that's called nose coverage. So this is all very technical, I know, but it's kind of, it kind of makes sense if you think about it. It's um, what came before or whatever, the nose coverage. Someone can um, buy their own policy, say, hey, you know, I'm, yes, I'm buying my first policy that's just my own. Um, But I've actually been working for 10 years, you know, before this. And um, so I would like to buy coverage that will cover me back 10 years for my prior services. And so it does cost a little bit more, but obviously it gives some peace of mind that you'll have that coverage if something happens later. You know, I think that's a, a really interesting point as well, because for the healthcare profession, you know, obviously, there, there are situations where you know right away if someone has been injured or has gotten worse or has a complication, right? But in healthcare, as we know, sometimes, especially with um, failure to diagnose type situations, people may not find out that, you know, there was a missed symptom or something like that until years later, right? So that's just the reality and, you know, sort of you know, what happens in in the medical profession. So knowing what to do to make sure that um, you have coverage sort of over time that extends throughout the course of your career, or even, you know, even if you were to take a break, just to make sure that you have that continuous coverage um, is important.
0: Yeah, that's, that's good to know. And that, you know, I partially a personal question. I'm not working clinically at the moment, but I'm thinking, you know, I've got 10 years of, of clinical practice up until last year that if anything were to be claimed or filed now about mm-hmm. those times I was working I likely would not be covered by those employers right. any longer right. so that's really that's that's good to know so so what i'm hearing is nurses and np's across the board in 99% of cases need to have some sort of malpractice insurance whether it's provided by your employer And if it's not, it really should be something that people get on their own. And I I think that that's a really important question to ask as part of the interview and hiring process, especially if you are in any sort of unconventional type of hiring scenario. Like If you're not going to be a W-2 employee, Mm -hmm. chances are you're not going to be provided insurance as a benefit from your employer. So would you agree that in 99.9% of cases, everyone needs to have some sort of insurance of some kind?
1: I would. And I I know that I work for an insurance company and everything. So it's really not even from, you know, my position within Berksy. It's It's sort of just, maybe it's from my legal background. I just sort of recognize that this is um, a profession that, you know, does face Um, legal uh, challenges, you know, not infrequently. And it would be wise at least to have, you know, make sure that your employer has you covered in case that ever becomes, you know, your reality. So I think it's expensive to litigate and to defend yourself. So, you know, really in the interests of your financial health, you know, having that insurance can usually be very worth it for, you know, so just In terms of, you know, the expense to buy an insurance policy of your own, I will note that supplemental insurance, what we were just talking about earlier, is actually less expensive than, you know, sort of a a standalone policy um, or what we call a primary policy. It is extra cushion on top of the employer's um, coverage. So um, it's less expensive because it's less likely to be needed you know, even for someone who, like you said, isn't a W-2, maybe is a 1099 or an independent contractor, uh, 100%, you know, you want to uh, make sure that you have a policy. And what goes into determining uh, the cost of that policy will be your license, your profession. So, you know, RNs have a different premium than N P s, And then even beyond that, sort of your specialty. So, your area of practice um, will also determine what that premium is. And then, couple other things. One, the state that you're practicing in, your primary practice state, you know, just as an aside, most policies, including Berksy's policies, are portable, meaning that it's really tied to the scope of your license. So if you happen to have licenses in two states, that's okay. You don't have to pay extra for that or anything like that. But yeah, so it's the state where you're licensed often uh, determines the premium a little bit as well. And then um, you know, for people who are 1099s or in less traditional sort of nine to five employed type uh, work, your hours can also affect your premium. So if you're part time only, 20 hours a week, you know, you're you can expect your premium to be less as well. So yeah, it's it's generally pretty affordable. I would say that you know, nurse practitioners can typically expect to pay, you know, somewhere in the 1000 to, you know, 1500 range, depending on the state that you're in and your specialty, like I said, and probably, you know, I don't know, like two thirds of that for a supplemental policy and RNs are around $100 for an annual policy. So it, it can be really affordable. You, and especially when you think about all that it covers, um, if you ever needed it.
0: Yeah, and we're, we're talking about annual Annual, that's right. Annual numbers when you there. say that, right? Yep, yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Yes, that that sounds about right. When I um when I went through the process and did my quote, it was a it was actually a little bit less than a thousand dollars for me. Uh, I quoted it for part time hours. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, exactly. It reflected. It yep. reflected that. You mentioned portability and multiple licenses, and it got me thinking about this question that I have heard different feedback on when I was in nurse practitioner school, I was told that once you're a nurse practitioner, you shouldn't ever practice in an RN position again, because in a court of law, you can be held to your highest degree of uh, competency, experience, and certification, as opposed to the position you're actually practicing under. And this has come up a lot in the past year in the setting of the pandemic, there's been a lot of layoffs for nurse practitioners. And Mm -hmm. actually many NPs have gone back to working bedside roles uh, or have helped out in RN type roles because of the pandemic. And I was wondering if you had uh, any thoughts about that, because some people will say that it's not true and NPs can work in RN roles without any issue. Uh, But I'd love Mm -hmm. your perspective from kind of the malpractice side of things.
1: So um, there are a couple different ways to answer that. I think the you know the probably least satisfying way to answer it is that it may depend on the state if there were litigation. It would depend on the state where the lawsuit is being litigated, and also as well sort of the uh, local board of nursings rules. Um, so it, it's a little bit fact dependent on what you know standard of care would actually be applied. Um, I do think that. There is some truth to the fact that you know when you are in a in a lawsuit and someone um, has been injured and you know you're you're actually performing an RN uh, role that there's nothing to keep sort of the the development of the case from saying hey you know Amanda you're actually trained as an MP and you have this knowledge even though you are only responsible for X, Y, and Z, you're actually trained to recognize this kind of a situation or, you know, respond to it. Now, you know, and you would have to defend against that. I think what makes it a bit of a tricky situation um, in terms of actually buying malpractice, you know, we ask, for example, when you come to our site to buy a policy, we ask what profession you're seeking coverage for. So it's, You know, if you 100% have returned to an RN job and you don't foresee moving into an NP role um, within that year, for example, you can select RN and you will be, you know, covered as an RN. So the caveat is that if, you know, six months from now, things improve with our healthcare situation and um, you end up deciding to take on an NP job, then um you would need to adjust your insurance because at that point the policy would only protect you if you're being sued in your capacity as an RN and if you later became uh, you know the target of a suit uh, in your NP role that policy would not be able to respond so that's just that's a caveat from a practical yeah. perspective
0: Yeah, I think that's a a good point. And I think the same goes that if you're covered by your employer insurance in an RN position, Mm -hmm. and let's say you also have a side job as an NP, uh, don't assume um, that that employer coverage is going to cover you in your NP role because it very likely won't because it's not associated with the employer. And also it's not the same level of coverage based on the role, so exactly. um, just yeah. a a word to the word to the wise. My other question is about students. So nurses who are in school to be nurse practitioners and they are doing clinical rotations. Is that a good scenario to have medical malpractice insurance? And is that something that is that is mm-hmm. typical? Yeah,
1: we actually do have lots of NP students and. What we say, we, we, there is a student policy available. So it's very specific to the clinical work that you have to do to complete your curriculum requirements. And it's really designed for students. So it's less expensive. Um, it covers whatever you need to be doing to, to earn your NP designation. And, you know, so uh, that is a product that is available and, you know, I think Berksy and and other carriers definitely have um, connections with schools. some schools, if they don't provide their students' coverage, will say, hey, you need to go get your own coverage. Here are a few different carriers who can meet that need. So that's a great question. And 100% is something that carriers have recognized as a need. What it doesn't cover is if you are going to school, say, part-time to get your NP license, but you're still working as an RN. What I would do there is really, you know, at least I think different carriers may do it differently. But at Berksy, we would say, hey, you know, you still need coverage for your professional work as an RN. Don't just get a student NP policy because that's not going to protect you. Um, but you can buy an RN policy with a student endorsement. So an endorsement is something that's sort of added to a policy to to either expand the coverage or, you know, change some... Terms and uh, then you're sort of covered in both in both ways.
0: Great. This is this is super helpful and illuminating. <laughs> you're, thank I'm you glad. for answering all of my <laughs> questions. I really think you know this is an elusive topic for for a lot of people. It's like you said, not something that we talk about a lot, uh, and it's not something we learn about at school. It's not something that our mentors know a lot about either. And and part of that is a good thing right it means that not many people have right. to use their insurance policies and we certainly want to keep it that way but then as a result it can be really hard to be appropriately informed on how to protect ourselves and and really what needs to be done so i think this has been super valuable and i i really i appreciate your your time and your expertise yeah no very happy to help <laughs> In the show notes for today's episode, we will link to Berksy's website if you want to get a free quote for your potential practice or your current practice, and we'll uh, link to some of their informational resources on their website as well. So thank you, Evelyn, so much for your time.
1: No, thank you very much.
0: Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. If you found today's episode helpful, would you take a minute and give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? It will truly help other nurses find this show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.